0: You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. A good Wednesday show for you. we got a lot to go over here. First off, we're going to talk about the World Series. We're going to talk about Dabo Sweeney taking a caller on his radio show that he does weekly and his response to that caller, whether I think it was justified or not. We've got a lot of NFL notes to go over for you, including NFL totals this season, primetime totals continue to go under it is unreal um we've got a lot of close games in the NFL we've got we're going to go over those underdogs that I talked about this past weekend some things that have happened since a team started off very poorly a lot of stuff to go over in the NFL so a lot of NFL notes but um we'll get to all that momentarily here we are Wednesday night, Game 5 of the World Series happens tonight. The Texas Rangers are up 3 games to 1 after jumping out to a 10-nothing lead after 3 innings on the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks get 7 runs, they end up losing 11-7. But the Rangers did this without Adolis Garcia, who's been the best player in the playoffs so far, 22 RBIs is more than any other player in baseball history in a postseason. He's out for the remainder of the series, which might only be one more game, but uh, hurt is oblique. Max Scherzer is out, so if this game, if this series happens to go seven games, Scherzer will not pitch game seven for the Rangers, which he would have been ex- um, scheduled to do. So it would be probably a bullpen game for them. So the Rangers really want to close it out tonight or Friday in Texas. But the beat goes on for this team. You can't explain it. 10-0 on the road in the postseason, they're 10-0 and when they score first, and they're 8-1 and when they hit more home runs than the team they're playing. I mean, everyone in Dallas is, they're excited, but there's still a disbelief of what is happening right now. Because this is this is something that this is a franchise that while they did make the World Series in 2011 and 2012 for the first time ever, and they lost to the Giants and the um, was it the Royals? God no, not the Royals, Royals are American League. We already talked about this, oh cardinals and Cardinals and Giants in those two years. The thing is, or I think it was the Giants first and then the Cardinals. But the thing is outside of those two years, this is franchise has never been a baseball franchise uh, It never been a baseball city. It's a cowboy town, It'll always we a cowboy town, then the Mavericks won the. NBA championship in 2011, the Rangers make the World Series in 11 and 12, and it's just like, wow, we've got some good teams here in the Metroplex. But ever since those two years, they made the playoffs a couple years after that and lost in the wild card game, and then from 2016 on up until this year, they were terrible. They hadn't been even, even been over 500. I mean, the sports talk shows out here were done talking Ranger baseball by about June. And it was just, let's focus on the Cowboys. Training camp starts in a few weeks. So to see where they're at right now, they're way ahead of schedule. Yes, two years ago in the offseason, they said, we're going to spend a half a billion dollars. Yes, billion dollars, a half a billion on our middle infield. We're going to go get Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. They did. This passed, and then they ended up winning 68 games last year. So it's just like, wow, we just spent a half a billion and we finished almost 30 games under 500. So this past offseason, it's like, all right, let's build our pitching. Let's go out and get Jacob deGrom and sign him to a fat deal. They did. He missed 138 games and he's out till the middle of next year. They had so many injuries, yet this team kept on fighting, kept on plugging away. And here they are one win away from the World Series it's going to be the biggest bet I've ever won, the biggest future bet I've ever won in the years that I've been placing future bets. I cannot believe I bet a 48 to one shot to win the World Series before the season started, and I'm one win away from that happening. That is crazy to me. Now I'm disappointed I didn't put more on it, you know? But at the time, I was just like, look, I thought they'd be better. I thought they'd win over 82 and a half games, I thought they had a chance to maybe make the playoffs. I didn't expect the season that they had, and then even when the playoffs started, the way their season ended, you've heard the announcers go over it, you've heard me talk about it 100 times, zero momentum heading into the playoffs. They were in first place for 150 days during this season and fell out of first place, got back into first place, and in the last week of the season finished 2-5, and five, which didn't give them a bye and sent them on the road, and they've been road warriors ever since, 10-0. and 0. On the road. This is an incredible, incredible story. And yet nobody cares because these are the lowest rated World Series in the history of baseball. People aren't watching. And I told you before this season, before this series started, I I knew that was going to happen. These aren't national names. This isn't the Yankees. These aren't major cities, even though Dallas is top five major uh, media market. It's just not an appeal because these aren't teams that have a history in baseball. This isn't an L.A. team. It isn't a Boston team or a Yankee or a Cub or anything like that. So I knew it was going to be low-rated, and the numbers have bored out. They are not. This is the lowest-rated World Series ever. Game one, lowest-rated game one ever. Game two, lowest-rated World Series game ever. Game three, beat the game two for lowest-rated World Series game ever. I'm sure game four last night, especially when it was 11 nothing after the third inning, I guarantee last night's game is gonna come back as the lowest rated World Series game ever. So, hey, do you think Dallas people in Dallas care? No, they don't. Because their team is on the verge of winning a World Series championship two years after they lost 102 games. It is so awesome. I'm gonna move on to college football. I'm sure you saw this story because it's funny. Dabo Sweeney, the head coach of the Clemson Tigers, has a radio show that he does every week. Well, they took a call from a guy named Tyler in Spartanburg, and Tyler in Spartanburg basically went off on Dabo trying to say that um, you're one of the highest-paid coaches in the country, we're 4-4, and basically just ripping Dabo and saying you suck. And normally coaches would not respond to stuff like that, especially someone like Dabo, but I think the pressure – kind of got to Dabo and however his response was very measured and the best part about it is it was factually correct. So he said the uh, the expectation is greater than the appreciation. That's the problem. We've won 12 10 plus win seasons in a row. That's happened 3 times in 150 years of college football. Clemson ain't sniffing national championship for 35 years, we've won two in seven years. And there's only two other teams that can say that Georgia and Alabama. Is this a bad year? Yeah. And it's my responsibility. Take 100% responsibility for it. But all this bull crap you're thinking, all these narratives you read, listen, man, you can have your opinion all you want. You can apply for the job and good luck to you. So I really like Dabo's response because what he laid out was factually correct. He had a run, 12, 10-plus win seasons in a row. Clemson football was never, ever at this level and never this consistently good. Now they have seemed to have fallen off this year. They have absolutely fallen off this year. They're 4-4 four and four and 2-4 and four in conference play. They are going to go to some bullshit bowl that no Clemson fans are going to care about because of the standard that they set. The expectation is greater than the appreciation. So when you have 12, 10-plus win seasons in a row, anything less than that is going to piss off your fan base. Now, I think Dabo has made some mistakes. We've talked about Dabo this season in the fact that he doesn't believe in NIL, and he doesn't believe – well, he's not a fan of the NIL, and he doesn't believe in the transfer portal. They have, I think, one player they've gotten – out of the transfer portal. And I'm sorry, this is the way you need to recruit now. You need to go into the transfer portal and get players. And he doesn't like it, so look at what's happening. Four and four this season, and he's probably going to lose again this weekend to Notre Dame. So it's not looking good, but doesn't mean you can't turn it around. Now, if Clemson has three or four years in a row of eight and four, maybe nine and three, I'm guessing he'll move on. Because even at the end of this thing, he even talked about like look i'm <laughs> um i work for the board of trustees the president and the ad if they're tired of me leading this program all they got to do is let me know i'll go somewhere else where there is an appreciation he says he's got about 15 years left in him in coaching he says i don't know if it'll be here but it'll be somewhere so he's laying the groundwork of look if you guys don't appreciate what i've done and the higher ups here the ad the president the board of trustees if they don't appreciate what i've done by all means, let me go or I'll walk on my own, and I find I will find a place that will appreciate me. And, yeah, it sucks because look at what he's done for your program. I mean, Clemson fans, Dabo Swinney puts you on the map. I understand you're having a bad year, and I understand you have some criticism by who he's hired, the fact that your offense isn't what it was in the Trevor Lawrence days and stuff like that. But I think one bad year, I think you can ease up. Now, if it continues and he doesn't show improvement, then I think it's probably going to be a mutual decision or maybe Dabble will just say, I'm going to move on. I'm gonna, I need I need a, a change of scenery because sometimes, if you've heard interviews with athletes and stuff like that, they'll talk about the fact that your message as a head coach pretty much wears thin after about 10 years. 10 years of giving the same speeches to your team 10 years with the same program, the same franchise in the NFL or something like that, your message starts kind of going in one ear and out the other because there's only so many times you can say probably the same thing or variations of the same thing. So maybe if he has a couple more bad years at Clemson, he'll move on. But right now, yes, bad year. But talk radio, (laughs) I mean, people that call into talk radio shows are pretty much, you know, um, what's the best way to put this? They're not the most rational people in the world. You're calling essentially to complain. Most people aren't calling a radio show to tell somebody how great they are. So, look, they're probably going to lose again this weekend. They'll probably fall under 500. they They'll end up bowl eligible this season. They're probably going to win six or seven games. They're going to be six and six or seven and five and go to some really mediocre-ass bowl that they would never have gone to in the last 12 years. But So it is. This is the way it is now. And if your record is what you say, you know, you are what your record says you are. And they're not a good football team this year. So he needs to go back to the drawing board, figure things out, and maybe hit that transfer portal. Maybe not hire his coordinators from within. Um, He brought in Garrett Riley from the outside this year, but that hasn't seemed to work either. So I don't know what he does there. But he needs to change things up and quickly because maybe even one more year like this and Clemson fans will be calling for his head. Is it fair? No, but it's reality. What has happened to the San Francisco 49ers after they beat the Dallas Cowboys 42 to 10 on Sunday night football, they were five and zero. Brock Purdy had thrown nine touchdowns on the season and zero interceptions. And everyone was actually talking about this team could possibly go undefeated because they had all the weapons. They had a steady quarterback, they had the best running back in the league in Christian McCaffrey and an unbelievable defense. What has happened to them since then? They lose to the Cleveland Browns, they lose to the Minnesota Vikings, and then they come home and they lose by two touchdowns to the Bengals. <laughs> now they're sitting at 5 and 3 in the last 3 games after going 9 touchdowns and zero interceptions in the first 5. Brock Purdy has gone 3 touchdowns and 5 interceptions in an 0-3 last three games, where do you put them now? I don't know what happened to this team. I was just as guilty as anybody of saying this team is dominant, and now very, very beatable. The good thing for them is they're on a bye this week, so they can easily turn things around. They went out and got Chase Young, who was, what, the second pick in the draft five years ago? Granted, he has not played up to the status of the second pick in the draft, but he's still a great pass rusher. I think they can turn it around. I don't know what happened in these three weeks. I really don't. I haven't broke down tape of the Niners and what happened. I think the biggest thing, just by the naked eye, that I see is their defense has been terrible. Um, And their defense is not what it was in those first five games. I don't know what happened. Because they haven't had any major injuries, as far as I know. So, um, defensively, they just haven't been good so they can turn that around. I, it's just really weird how quickly it has changed for them because everybody was singing their praises after those first five games. While Taylor Swift is consoling Travis Kelsey because they lost to the Broncos this past weekend, according to a source with us weekly, um, it was a very surprising loss. Why? Because do you realize in the six years that Travis, uh, that Patrick Mahomes has been the starting quarterback for the Denver— <laughs> Boy, I'm really screwing this up. Let's start over. <laughs> for the six years that Patrick Mahomes has been the starting quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, he had never lost a road divisional game. Do you need me to repeat that? Six years, Patrick Mahomes, starting quarterback, Kansas City Chiefs, had never lost a road divisional game until this past Sunday when they lost to the Broncos 24-9. We had heard reports before the game that he had been suffering from the flu all week, but he got out there, he played, he did not play very well, but that was definitely a surprising loss. Granted, I had them as one of my picks, as you know this. Um, I thought Kansas City would win, but again, they were coming off another big win, going on the road, playing a team. The other thing is they had beaten the Broncos 16 times in a row home or away. So it just wasn't something that I think a lot of people expected them to, to to lose the game outright, but they had just played them two weeks earlier and Denver hung with them. Kansas city only won by 11. I thought it was going to be a close game. I thought it was going to be a field goal game. I thought it was going to be one of those games. Remember when I was giving you my preview of the game, I said, I can see this as Denver starts out fast, they jump out, they're up at halftime and then Kansas city turns it on in the second half and realizes, Oh shit, we got a game here. We got to play a little harder or whatever. And it just never got to that point. Denver did exactly what I said. Jumped out to a big lead, not a big lead, but a lead, led at halftime, and you're just like, okay, but Kansas City is clearly within striking distance. They just need to turn this thing around because we've seen it happen so many times with them. Hell, it happened in the Super Bowl. They were down by double digits at halftime of the Super Bowl. Remember that? And they came out, and it's just like, oh, here we are. This is the Chiefs. This is what they do. Because they know they're so good, because they know you can just pencil them into the playoffs right now, it's it's hard to get motivated every single week in the NFL and come out and just guns blazing every first half that you play, and you're leading at halftime of every game. It just doesn't happen. It just does not happen that way. And they proved it on Sunday. But when they needed to turn it on, Denver was just able to sustain what they had done in the first half, which a lot of teams usually can't do. Denver was able to, and but that's a hell of a stat. I had I didn't know that he had never lost a divisional road game. That's in six years. You know, you I granted you only play three road games in division a year, but to never lose one, wow. So with Sunday night football game going under, um, and then um, Monday night's football game going under the posted total. Detroit, and um, the Raiders, you've got a week where there were eight overs and eight unders, meaning since week 16 last year in the NFL, only one week, which was week two of this year, has the over gone over by more than 50%. Like if there were 16 games played, the over was at least nine teams hit the over. It's just been an underpalooza since last year. And the unders this season are just absolutely destroying it. And even this week, we had unders. We also had a lot of close games. 12 of the 14 NFL games this week, going into the Sunday night game and the Monday night, not not counting the last two, were within one score in the fourth quarter, which brings the season totals to 85 of the 120 games, 70.8% were within one score in the fourth quarter. And if you look at it now with the Sunday night game and the Monday night game, I think you can add two more to that because I think both were within one score in the fourth quarter at some point. So, I mean, that's exactly what the NFL wants. I mean, that's huge for them that they do that, and that's the way it's been. Close games and a lot of games going under. Now, unders. Doesn't equal the most exciting football because a lot of people watch football because they want to see points and touchdowns. But unders have just dominated. And once again, all three NFL primetime games this week went under the posted total. I mean, you go back to Tampa and Buffalo on Thursday night. Went under by a half point, but it did go under. 24-18, total was 42.5. The Sunday night game, Chargers and Bears. Total was forty six. Chargers win thirty to thirteen. That's forty-three points. Vegas and Detroit. Vegas and Detroit. 26 to 14. 40 points total. The total was 46. I mean, if you look at it, there's been eight weeks in the NFL. So there's been eight Thursday night games. And the under is one, two, three, um, four. Four on wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, <clears throat> sorry yeah Thursday night that's the one that's actually been the closest because on Thursday night there's been four unders and four overs so those are your primetime games Thursday night football Sunday night football We're talking about isolated night games Thursday night Sunday night Monday night Thursday four and four four overs four unders however Sunday night football Seven of the eight Sunday night football games have gone under. Seven of them. I mean, that's a lot. (laughs) And it's just almost like you just blindly bet it every week. Just bet the under on the Sunday night and Monday night game this year. You would be, well, let's see what Monday night is. Remember, Monday night, there were two Monday nights where they had two games. So we've had 10 games on Monday night football this year. 11. 11. Monday night games this year, 10 of them have gone under. There's only been one Monday night football game that went over the total. So between Sunday night football, there's been eight of those, and now there's been 11 Monday night games. We have had 17 out of 19 games, Sunday night football, Monday night football have gone under. I mean, that's not a small sample size. And and I don't know what the explanation is. Maybe they'll all turn around and they'll all go over now. I don't know. But, man, if you're just looking to chase on Sunday nights or even Mondays, bet the under because you made a fortune. You'd be 17-2. and two. And one gambling note for you from this past weekend. You know, I didn't have either of these teams in my plays, either regular plays or underdog plays, and you're probably asking why because I had been on them pretty much in every situation that they had this season which was betting Mike Vrabel and Mike Tomlin when they're a home underdog. Tennessee at home, Pittsburgh at home. Pittsburgh had already won twice for me at home as a home underdog. Tennessee had won three times for me this year as a home underdog. Had them in week two at home against the Chargers. Beat them outright 27-24. Had them in week four at home as an underdog to Cincinnati. Beat them 27-3. to Had them against – oh, I didn't take them against Baltimore because that was a – um. That was overseas. But they were in that role again this past Sunday, and I laid off them. They were getting three against Atlanta, and they end up winning 28-23 outright. So every game that's been played in Nashville this year, where they have been at home, they've been an underdog, and not only have they covered that game, they've won it outright. The reason I stayed away on Tennessee this past weekend was because, not that I think Ryan Tannehill is a good quarterback, but they were starting a guy who had never taken a snap in the NFL. And you're taking a chance. Now, what does Will Levis end up doing out of Kentucky? Throws four touchdown passes and looks like, you know, he's going, he basically Wally-pipped Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill's never seen the field again for the Tennessee Titans. You can mark that down unless Will Levis gets hurt. So it's a crazy stat, but Mike Vrabel and Mike Tomlin are the two guys that if they're a home underdog, you just got to bet it. I stayed away from it this weekend because they can't do it every single time. I mean, every game Pittsburgh has played this year at home – They've been an underdog. They didn't cover the first one against the San Francisco 49ers, but then in week two, they came back. Remember, they were underdogs against Cleveland, beat them outright 26-22. Then they were underdogs against Baltimore in week five, beat them outright 17-10. So with Jacksonville, I was like, is Tomlin going to pull it off three three times in a row? And the reason why I stayed away from that one was this. Do you realize the Jacksonville Jaguars have won their last nine road games? I just I wasn't going to do that. I understand that Pittsburgh is a home dog that you have to bet, but not against a team that's won nine in a row on the road. That is a better road team than home team. So I stayed away from it. Going forward, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Guess what Pittsburgh's next game is? Tomorrow night at home against Tennessee. Now, uh, well, they're favored, so the situation of Tomlin being a home dog doesn't come into play. Tennessee being a road dog isn't really a situational thing either. So uh, the fact that Will Levis is going to only play in his second NFL game, it's on the road against the Steelers who have a good defense. Kenny Pickett is playing. I'm not touching tomorrow night's game because it doesn't really fit into the situation of Tomlin being a home dog or Vrabel being a home dog, clearly because he's on the road. But um, in the future, looking at it down the road, I think the only time Pittsburgh's going to be a home underdog the rest of the year is in Week 16 against Cincinnati because their other home games the rest of this year are home against Green Bay next week. I don't think they'd be an underdog there. Home against Arizona in Week 13, they're not going to be underdogs to Arizona. Home against New England the following week, Week 14, they're not going to be underdogs to New England. And then Cincinnati in Week 16. So that would probably be the only other situation looking ahead where you would bet the Steelers. Tennessee being a home underdog, let's see. Their next three games are on the road. This Thursday against Pittsburgh, then they're at Tampa and at Jacksonville. Home against Carolina, they're not going to be a dog there. Home against Indianapolis in Week 13, they're not going to be a dog there. Home against Houston, Week 15, not going to be a dog there. Seattle in Week 16, probably home underdog. And last week against Jacksonville at home probably be a home underdog all depending on if Jackson's already clinched the division. Jacksonville has already clinched the division. They might not even be playing their starters. So we'd have to see, but they only look like one other time this year, they're going to be in a situation where they'd be a home underdog. And that is week 16 against Seattle, the way Seattle's playing right now because they're one of the best teams in the NFC. So just that note, I didn't bring it up on Friday when I was giving out my picks because I had teased that we were possibly going to bet Pittsburgh, but when I saw that stat that Jacksonville had won eight in a row on the road and now it's nine after winning in Pittsburgh this weekend, 20 to 10, I'm like, yeah, I'll stay away from that. But I'm looking ahead to this weekend. like both cards in college and pro. So no, last week, six and two in college, two, two and two in pro. Um Really like some games this weekend, so that'll be coming on Friday. Thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please follow me on Apple Podcasts. Also, rate and review when you can. Please tell your friends about this podcast. Let them know about it. Tell them about the picks. Doing really well. Coming off a great week. Hope to have another great week this week. Again, don't forget, as always, (laughs) remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See